Captain. We've got company. Three on six, we've got this. Let's try diplomacy first. Greetings. My friends and I have traveled far from the north. We apologize for trespassing. We mean no disrespect. We know you come from Starfleet. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between the Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton turning into a pack lead for a day. <laughs> and we're here this week to talk about the latest episode of Strange New Worlds, episode four of season two. Uh uh. What was the name gonna, of this? I'm going to make you squirm. Uh, Tyler, what was the name of this? Well, Wait, what are we I, doing I here? I remember those lo Lotus Eaters. <laughs> oh, Lotus. That that rings a bell. Yes, we are here to talk about Among the Lotus Eaters. I have a lot of problems with this episode, but you first. So, you know, Cam, you know me. I, I've been keeping a diary for about a decade now. And when I write in my diary that I've held for a decade, I always write, Dear Diary. My name is Tyler Orton. <laughs> I'm a Star Trek podcaster, which is cool. Diary, this is the first time you've ever heard anything about me. And that's why I'm giving you the clumsiest exposition possible right off the top here. Um, yeah, Cam, this, this one, like, 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 this wasn't like a bad episode, but it was one of those kind of like, I don't know, mid-season three mediocre TNG episodes that you just never think about again. It didn't offend you or at least mm. me, I was just kind of like rubbing my chin and I may have glanced at uh, text messages coming in uh, more than once while <laughs> this one was airing. And I, I try never to do that with Star Trek, but this one, um, uh, a, a, a bit of a tough sit, especially you've been missing Anson Mount's charisma and gravitas for three straight episodes at this point, or four straight episodes, I should say. And, and it shows. I think mm -hmm. the supporting cast is great. I really do think, despite what I thought about tomorrow is tomorrow is tomorrow, or tomorrow, 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 whatever the tomorrow episode was last I think week. the first one was right. Okay. Well, or is it, no, I, tomorrow I, and tomorrow and tomorrow. Get it right, people. <laughs> we're, we're cool Star Trek podcasters. But um, even though I thought that was like a so-so episode, I, I still thought, uh, you know, Christina Chong was hitting it out of the ballpark. I, I, I still thought that, you know, Rebecca Romaine was great in the second episode. Um. Mm -hmm. It just seems as if something's missing in season two so far. It, it seems as if, you know, what we've got is a series that's still finding its legs, despite the fact that it came out of the gate super strong in its inaugural season, and we thought that it had already found its legs. And, and I'm just, I'm, I'm very iffy on season two so far. But what's your takeaway from Lotus Eaters? I think I've learned that if a Strange New World uh, episode features characters wearing crowns i'm in trouble <laughs> fair enough fair enough um, yes sir yeah so this one to me really didn't work 
And I've seen a lot of uh, people who are maybe more in favor of this episode online say, like, this is classic TOS. And I kind of go like, Ugh. like, in terms of the concept of setting up an episode, sure. And I, I did appreciate that we are going back to Rigel 7, looking at a planet that Pike had visited before the events of the cage. That stuff I was, like, super into and excited to see actually unfold on TV. I think this one has a kind of a problem I'm going to call the and problem, which is that this is an episode about characters basically losing their memories. And what does it really tell us about the characters? That is something I found so frustrated. So much of this episode was characters walking around with just kind of a glazed expression on their face. And yes, you would get sort of this... Um, this kind of like ingrained sense of who they were as people by the end. But like, that was it. I look at an episode like Conundrum, which is a more comedic episode. I'm not comparing them in terms of tone, but like very similar setup where the characters have basically lost a sense as to who they are. But look at the material you're getting out of that. You're getting Worf, who, because he's wearing a baldric, decides that, well, I must be in charge. And we're kind of seeing how Worf's kind of inner sort of ego is coming forth even though he is not aware of his place on the ship. Or the way you have the Riker love triangle with uh, Troy and Roe, which is like so much fun. This episode has none of that. It's just characters being confused. And when you are showing character insight, I expect a little more than Ortegas saying, I fly the ship. I fly the ship. It's like, oh my god, is this the long-awaited Ortegas episode we've been waiting for, where we're finally going to get some character depth out of her, and this is what we find out? She flies the ship? I am well aware of that fact at this point. I, I did appreciate, like, in the end, they're trying to pull, like, something thematic out of it, you know, in which, you know, uh, Pike declares, you know, oh, this memory loss reveals who you are at the core, essentially. And we see that, you know, uh, Pike is kind of an honorable guy duty-bound fella, and that they're sort of shepherd throughout this planet um, is somebody who cares deeply about his family, whereas uh, King Zachary is somebody <laughs> who's like a real jerk at his yeah. core. I'm like, okay. Um, whereas, I don't know, Spock, despite all the memory loss, uh, he's still logical. He still doesn't really rely on feelings. I, I just, I, it, it, it seems so surface level. You know, and I almost feel like maybe this episode would have worked a lot more if King Zack was like a character that we had actually known previously, you know, like in some sort of way, you know. And it, here we're just getting some random guy who is annoyed by the fact that he got like crash landed and forgotten about. Well, not forgotten about, but they assumed he was KIA, you know. But I'm just mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm not attached to this character. I don't really care about his life inside this about this castle that was built from alloy that protects from memory loss. And I'm just like, I don't know. This one was just kind of much more of a slog. And the fact that it was one hour long, like this could have been a TNG episode that was 42 minutes long and I could have whizzed right through it and it would have been like, okay, well, that's fine. This one is just like, is a much tougher sit. Why was it so long? Because I was asking myself that throughout the episode. When you look at the one last week, um, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. I understand why that's an hour-long episode. It kind of felt like a mini-movie about Laon and Kirk. Whereas this episode felt to me like a very middle-of-the-road, drop-in-the-middle-of-the-season kind of Star Trek episode, and yet it was almost an hour long? Like, what's going on with the editors on Strange New Worlds? 
Well, who do you think we should have been spending more time with here? Like Pike and company down on the planet or Ortegas and company on the Enterprise? I think we had more than enough Pike on the planet material. Um, hmm. How would I, I just don't think the one? material that they're giving the Enterprise folks was very interesting. And no. I think the planet material was a little bit more interesting, you know? But the thing is, I, I, I wish I'd ha- I don't really know who Ortegas is at this point. We are, what, 13, 14 hours into this series. And, you know, that would be only halfway through season one of TNG. So, you know, I, you know, I, I, I get it. <laughs> Which characters were figured out at the halfway point of season one of TNG? Well, Jordy LaForge, obviously. Oh, yeah. Okay, um, okay. And Worf. Very clearly Worf. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to season 23 of uh, Strange New Worlds, and that's when they'll finally figure out Ortegas <laughs> as a character, I, I suppose. But she, okay, here's the thing. Ortega seemed kind of cool uh, in, in season one and leading up to this. Didn't she seem kind of like goofy and like kind of like kid-like in this one rather than kind of a cool operator? When she showed up in the like funky hat for the away mission? Yeah. Yeah. And then she put the hat right back on her and kind of slunk away. I mean, she's a very enthusiastic character. Um, I, I wonder if they're kind of going for a kind of, a little bit of almost like a Star Trek nerd on a Star Trek show kind of vibe, but it's been a little inconsistent, I think. I don't know. I, I was just, I was digging her much more in season one. Actually, I was, I was digging her much more leading up to everything that went on this episode, and I just thought... I don't know. Here's a problem. When you're trying to like do a showcase for your character that has not been explored, I don't think the way that you do that is take so much agency away from those characters' actions. You know, like think about the fact like she had to use like a light beacon system to get to her quarters. Yeah. And then she stumbles into her quarters and looks out a window and keeps asking the computer, "Uh, what do I do again? Who am I? What's going on?" And then she stumbles back up to the bridge and she's like, I'm the pilot. And it's just like, like, like she has no agency, really. It, it just it takes like some like deep intuition and gut instinct on her part. I'm like, I guess that's revelatory. She's has more gut instinct than other people on the ship. Uh, obviously, Chapel, who was not able to <laughs> solve this problem with all the equipment that Mavenga did not have on the planet. I don't know. I just... I, I keep asking myself, like, what what did this one um, prove to me about Ortegas? I like, I already know, like, who, like, uh, say Laon or Pike or Mabenga are on kind of a constitutional level. I don't necessarily know that with regards to Ortegas at this point. No, so much of this seemed to be about like the core of who these people are, and I guess this is telling us that Ortegas isn't just you know, flying the Enterprise. Like, that is her at her core. That is the job she wants. This is not a character who necessarily is like, I'm doing this as a means of a stepping, you know, stone onto the next position within the ship. I am a pilot at heart, and I want to be the greatest pilot in Starfleet. So I guess there was that sort of element underlined, but that's not the sort of thing that felt like it was particularly... (laughs) <laughs> giving me that much more than I already had. I kind of assumed that, or at least got a sense of that in season one. Yeah. Because um, so the ultimate solution is like, well, you know, uh, Ortegas flies a ship, 
they, they get away from the radiation, Spock creates some sort of shield harmonic, and then they pull this meteorite that causes the memory loss from the planet. And Spock asks Pike, is this not a violation of the Prime Directive? Um, <laughs> isn't it? I think it is. Because isn't the natural course of history a meteorite hitting a planet and that's what influences like a planet's development? You know, like, because it wasn't like the meteorite like hit like a decade ago. Wasn't it like thousands of years ago? Yeah, it felt a little bit of, and, and I think Kirk had a couple instances of this as well, where when the effect was that harmful, he would kind of step in. I also think of the start of Star Trek Into Darkness, where they're stopping the volcano um, from destroying that planet. Uh, it's always weird, because they, they like to hammer home the Prime Directive concept, but when it comes to like a catastrophic event, it's like, well, <laughs> we have a little bit of a loophole when it comes to the Prime Directive there. I, I wish instead of Pike trying to justify it to the bridge crew slash the audience at home, you know, when Spock just asked that question, Pike should have just looked at him and shrugged. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that would have been much more like compelling <laughs> as a viewer, you know, like, eh, what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> you know, what is he going to, uh, is he going to be called in front of that uh, judge advocate general again? Um, uh, who's... Pretty much uh, proved to be like a uh, like a, a real jerk, and that uh, he stopped uh, Captain Patel from getting that uh, that promotion to Commodore. And uh, savage move, Christopher, your girlfriend <laughs> misses the promotion, and your response was to break up with her immediately. You don't even give her. Don't forget, she gives him the gift. There's also the gift, <laughs> dude. You at least give her a week to like to like kind of absorb. That that terrible bit of news. Um, I I know what he's thinking. It's like, am I gonna have to break up with her via view screen? You know. But um, I do appreciate by the end, what we do understand from Chris is that yeah, you know what? Um, I was a total jerk. Um, I realize you know like obviously somebody's out there that wants to give me a great gift. So that's the reason why I should be in a relationship with Captain Patel. <laughs> I, I did appreciate that they've built in some actual like flaws into Pike because you had uh, number one saying like you always do this this is what you do in relationships right and like so far Pike is just like the beacon of hope <laughs> in Star Trek where I'm like this character just seems like the leader we'd all want I, I like that they're at least introducing some issues and having him grapple with them I like Captain Patel I think the two performers have a lot of chemistry the only thing like the cloud hanging all over this is mm -hmm. the menagerie and the events that unfold so are we to think that like as soon as the accident happens uh that's when captain patel decides to break <laughs> up with, with pike is, is that kind of the analogous situation you know like uh, you don't get a promotion i'm going to break up with you um, you suffer a life-changing in injury, I'm going to break up with you. Because the relationship's going to have to end in, in some manner for his uh, ultimate resolution in the menagerie. That's sort of my issue as well, which is that we know he's going to go back to Talos Four and wander off with Vina, ultimately. And I like Patel. I think, like, the relationship has been pretty thinly sketched so far. It's really only been a handful of scenes. But I think there's more you can do, and I'm actually on on board with them exploring that relationship more. Um, I would prefer they'd honestly just done an hour-long relationship episode this week versus characters wandering around with no memories for an hour. That'd be nice. But um, 
I, I do wonder if they're going to build in some sort of like, ah, uh, they're going to have to like navigate that terrain, I think, very sensitively when it comes to Pike's accident and them going their separate ways. I Maybe they break up before that, but if it is a case where they are together until that incident, they're going to have to have like some sort of like mutual moment, I think, of the two of them parting ways. Yeah, but, but it's still kind of, um, if they were on Facebook, their relationship status would still say it's complicated, right? Yes, I would say so, yeah. Uh, keep it in mind, like, he did sleep with that woman in the Battery Boy episode, and, mm -hmm. it, like, so there was, like, kind of a, uh, like, 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 kind of a, uh, <sighs> like a, a freedom within this relationship, whatever they have, you know, they're, they're both grown adults, um, mm -hmm. they're not, like, long-term partners, you know, I, I guess what I'm getting at is, like, I really like Captain Patel, and I don't want to have her dropped uh, just arbitrarily in order to service you know, some other romance Pike is going to uh, potentially have. I think that, or at least like keep her around, make her Commodore next season, and you know she could be the go-to. Actually, no, then that would essentially take Robert April's job away, and I really like Robert April in this show. Mm -hmm. But I, I just feel like there's like, like, like it's hard for like uh, the lead actor to find like genuine chemistry. A lot of times, uh, you find this a lot in TV. Uh, we've yeah. gotten lucky with uh, folks like uh, you know Avery Brooks and Penny Johnson playing uh, Cisco and Yates, but other than that, like how many of our captains have actually had like uh, you know good chemistry with whatever their romantic uh, partners are? Yeah, you get the odd one. Like I think of the episode Lessons, you know, from TNG with Picard, but like they are few and far between, and you stack this one up next to the Spock to Pring story. They've really managed to find lightning in a bottle there as well. I think the difference is with the Spock to Pring thing, there's a natural endpoint that I can kind of get a sense as to where we're going. And I think there's a lot you can explore in terms of like what leads to the events of a mock time. Whereas the Pike stuff, it doesn't have that sort of natural endpoint built in, other than we know that he's just going to wind up with Vina. So it's more the question of like, how do they evolve this relationship? Are they interested in evolving it over the next, hopefully the show goes four or five seasons. Like hopefully they continue to evolve it, but like, where is it going to? Because you know that there's no, you know, these two flying off into the stars together. It, it, it seems almost sad, no matter how much you think about it, because like ultimately we know that this series, it's probably going to end with a handoff of the ship from Pike to Kirk. And mm -hmm. th that's just how I kind of have it in my head. So, like, maybe ultimately uh, a pursuit of a relationship with Patel brings him back to Earth where he's, you know, working with the cadets or something. And then just kind of seems, like, very sad. Like, not not to say that people can't have, like, very fulfilling lives after, like, um, life-altering injuries, but it's kind of like we know that his life is changed forever and that's why he ultimately ends up on talos 5 with vina and mm. it just it, it, it kind of seems like this re we we know this relationship is doomed and I, I i i just hope it's handled well and handled much better than um you know you wear a helmet therefore you keep <laughs> your memories you know right now that i think about it Strange New Worlds is really setting up like a lot of doomed relationships because you obviously have, you know, Pike and Patel. 
You've got Spock and T'Pring. You've got Spock and Chapel, which we know isn't going to go anywhere. And then we've also, just as of the previous episode, had La'an and Kirk, which doesn't seem like it's going to go anywhere either, given the longevity of what we know happens with Kirk. So it's interesting, like, is this show going to set up one relationship that could last? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I hear, uh, uh, you know, that there's this real cool android uh, specialist out there named uh, Dr. Kirby that's um one uh chapel will be meeting and i think that'll be like a, a pretty special long-term relationship that, that that's very healthy ultimately that went really well i agree yeah yeah i think that one there's a lot there to uh mine um yeah it, it is interesting because like when i look at other star trek shows there's been a number of them that did have relationships that clicked you know obviously Riker and troy i think of and then as you said cassidy yates and cisco and this show seems to be build, building in more relationships that are just doomed to fail which is interesting because the tone of the show is so upbeat and like fun a lot of the time but you know what like uh, it's creating attention and it's a tension that we're discussing and that like we're interested in it's like the reason we're discussing the captain patel stuff is we think she's great uh, we mm -hmm. think that they have like good chemistry like we we don't want it to end um the the to to bring in spock stuff or like those two performers they have chemistry uh have we seen the uh, T'Pring performer so far this season yet? Not yet, but I believe she is in this season for sure. Okay, that's good. That, that's a relief to hear. Uh, you know, Patel, she was in, I think, like three episodes last year, at least two episodes this year. I, I, I think, I don't know, I, 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 at least I'll, I'll praise the writers for knowing when they do catch something good. I, I just wonder, though, so far the writing to kick off this season, it's just been a very mixed bag for a lot of us though and i'm just wondering if they kind of learn that lesson as the season goes on that maybe they're not quite hitting it out the ballpark like they did the first five episodes of season one you and i did note though that um maybe the last half of season one was a little shakier than the first half yeah. i just wonder if this is kind of carrying on that momentum that we had in the last half of season one and maybe I don't know. Maybe we got fooled that uh, think they had already found their feet right away. Maybe this is still a show that's only 14 hours in and they're still finding their feet. I'm really confused as to what is going on because it felt like, I agree with you, like it felt like they'd really found something early on with Strange New Worlds. And I, I'm now at a point where I'm starting to question, like, is this a case of they got kind of like a little nervous because of the huge response to season one that they have kind of got almost got paralyzed a little bit in terms of writing solid stories in season two i find it very strange like how few episodes are really playing up the fun crew dynamic that made season one so much fun they have not really done that a lot this season um and then also i start to question like is it a case of the first season got a lot of buzz a lot of attention for that show did outside people suddenly become more interested in getting involved in a show that is a hit show like i don't know that can happen my, my understanding i could be wrong but i believe the scripts for season two were already in the can before season one premiered and i believe hmm. didn't they didn't they already start filming season two before like season one had finished up um hmm. i can't remember to the best of my yeah memory because season three was definitely already filming before season two even premiered. And then that uh, got put on pause, uh, put on ice because of the Hollywood writer strike. 
Um, but I'm fairly certain that the scripts for season two were already in the can and there wasn't like, it, was, it wasn't like there was outside influence um, hmm. beyond what people felt internally about what worked for the show and what did not. Hmm. Yeah, because like, had that been a case, I would understand if suddenly, you know, you have a successful show and suddenly all these outside forces that were not involved in the previous season are like, well, hold on now, I have some ideas for season two. But if that's not the case, I, I don't know. Like, I, I am just confused because it doesn't seem like... Well, if they were writing the scripts for season two before season one had the response coming back as strong, did they not understand what the strengths of their show quite were yet? And they were continuing to kind of explore and maybe coming to some dead ends that they may have realized they shouldn't have tackled had they actually had the full time to take in what the response to season one was. Well, that's what I think. And from what I hear, I, the uh, folks behind the scenes thought that the Renfair episode, uh, Elysian Kingdom, and I'm not joking mm. about this, they thought that, you know, that's kind of the stuff we need to be doing. You know, uh, like let's kind of be goofy and light on our feet and all that. Whereas, um, I mean, that that one felt like a slog, and this one not not quite the slog, not not, not even close. But it's like I just, you know what, folks, like um, at least praise be to uh, Picard season two, and they knew that uh, hey, if we only have thirty two minutes of material to deliver, let's give you a thirty two minute long episode. But I think in that case is should have been a fifteen minute long episode. Yeah, yeah. I just don't understand for the life of me why this episode wasn't like 45 minutes or something. It was not striving for something particularly momentous. Uh, this could have easily been a faster paced story. There was a lot of material with Pike where it's just like wandering around with the character uh, Luck or Luke um, talking about forgetting and saying the word forgetting over and over and over again. <laughs> it was like if you made a drinking game every time someone said the word forgetting, you would not have made it through the hour of this TV show. Uh, it just felt like you could have condensed that material and focused more on like a better balance of that stuff with the ship. I honestly don't understand why they didn't play up the ship element a little more because I think there's more interesting things to do than scenes of characters like pounding rocks like the Flintstones. Um, speaking of which, I was very confused when their little shepherd was like, you wear blue, that means you go and mine. You wear green, that means you chop wood. And my, like, <laughs> I don't know if there's something wrong with my TV. It looked like they're all wearing, like, a smear of, like, brown. And I was like, yeah. those colors did not really pop. And so, like, I, I, it's such a little, like, tiny thing. But it was, again, like, it just seemed as if maybe not all details were paid to this particular one, though. No, I also noticed like the colors in this one looked a little dingy. I, I think that's intentional, but it didn't make it that much fun to watch. <laughs> it was kind of like, oh, okay. This show that's usually very bright and vivid and just a joy to take in visually really wasn't delivering that. And like I kept thinking, uh, it was hard not to, with all of the memory stuff of the movie Memento, which I think like shows how you can do memory loss in a way that is involving and carries you along with a character for like, you know, in that case, like 105 minutes. And here, it just felt like it would just cut to characters with that ringing sound effect, which got really annoying at a certain point, and then just like blank stares and just being like, I, I forget, I forget, I don't remember who I am. It's like, why did they not create scenarios that they had to navigate? Like, it didn't feel like they were kind of building in little quests or something throughout the episode that 
revol- like that involved problem solving, which is, I don't know, kind of a Star Trek thing is solving problems. And it didn't really do that. It just kind of like had characters listening to, you know, the Reed Bernie character about the kind of the nature of the planet. And then finally, Pike going, well, I'm going to go, you know, beat up Zach and get our memories back. I, I, I think you keep bringing up the name Pike. And I think that might be zeroing in on, on part of the problem with the inconsistency so far this season. And that, like, he's, like, uh, so uh, Anson Mount, he uh, he had a child, uh, you know, right before season two was shooting. And so praise be to the producers. And they're letting him have time, you know, to, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, be with the, the kid in, in Los Angeles versus having to, like, uproot his family, put him in Toronto while the kid is, like, one week old. Yeah. Um, so I look if maybe the back half of the season is filled with much more of a Pike presence. I think that could just elevate it, uh, just through his charisma and gravitas, you know. And um, but there's other little things like very mixed response to Commander uh, Pelia, for instance. Um, sure. I'm kind of bummed out that this is what we got from Ortegas so far. Um, yeah. Chapel, despite you know, um, uh kickboxing Klingons, you know, in the season <laughs> premiere. Uh, she hasn't really had much interesting to do. And I'm just kind of, yeah, you know, okay. Think about what a centerpiece Uhura was throughout season one. Um, mm-hmm. What has her arc been so far? Okay. I'm flashing back to episode one. What did she do in episode one? <laughs> um, well, on uh. noticed that she became an ensign. Okay, so we had that in the second episode. She had that really good scene standing up to Laon about, yep. you know, tapping into people's personal logs. So that was a good scene, um, but she didn't have a lot to do with the, you know, overall episode because it was a court episode. Uh, and then the third episode, she was in for maybe like, I don't know, a minute and a half or something like that. Um, yeah, no, uh, not a lot for Uhura, which is interesting because, you know, we're talking about Pike being absent from the show. You would think that would mean, okay. We have to give Ensign Mount some time. Let's play up our other characters. And it doesn't feel like they've done that because we're talking about Ortegas is being ignored. Uh, Uhura has not had a lot of interesting material. Um, Chapel, same thing. Uh, Mabenga's had a little more to do because he had the whole uh, Jason Bourne uh, drug in the first episode. And then this episode, he had a decent amount to do with the landing party. But... It doesn't feel like they're kind of utilizing the core of that cast very well. Wouldn't you think it'd just be time for like Spock to be going uh, hog wild, like every episode centered on him? You'd think so, or number one, because if you don't have your leader there, like number one is second in command, like play up number one more, a character who didn't get as much to do in season one as a lot of the other cast did. Yeah. Uh, maybe, look, a sophomore slump, it, it, it's not unusual for uh, some TV shows. I, I, I'm not worried at all about Strange New Worlds. Uh, I'm still finding it pleasant to just be around those characters. I just wish they're giving them more interesting stuff to do. It, it just feels as if maybe, you know, like I think going into season one of Strange New Worlds, maybe I thought that uh, we'd be getting more episodes like this as the show found its feet. But the problem is maybe they just raised my expectations just a little too high by coming out so strong. And I, I will point this out, though. Like, 
remember like we were digging the last half of season one of lower decks and then mm -hmm. we came into season two figuring that they would still have that momentum going for them and, and season two is a little bit more of a mixed bag as well and i think we found like season three probably the most consistent yeah out of all the seasons but it probably just like it definitely did not have some of the lows that we saw in seasons one and two but it also didn't quite reach those same highs yeah and this season i do find it like a little frustrating that you know next week we have episode five which will mark the halfway point of the season and when you look at season one we had some like legit great episodes of strange new worlds in the first half of season one and we have not had that yet and that's kind of a little concerning because i can't be a hundred percent confident that the back half is going to be significantly better than the front half uh i can only go off the trajectory of where we are now and so i'm like please like let's land one of these really strongly like where's our home run strange new worlds episode that kind of like boosts that confidence because when i look at like season one you know like this was the episode where you had like the gorn episode with laon which was very strong and then uh spock amok was the next episode which was very strong it just doesn't feel like we've had that sort of like real confidence earner yet. I will be crushed if the Lower Decks crossover episode is, feels like Ooh. a bit of a slog. Yeah, I, I can't imagine it will. I think it's just going to be such like a novel thing that will be going on that we'll, we'll love it. But I, it just makes me a little less pumped for that episode uh, than I was going into the season. Yeah, it's the question to me of I don't think there's any way that it is a bad episode. It's more the question of like, is it a, you know, trials and tribulations, like just complete joy bomb of an episode? Or is it something like flashback where we can go, hey, it's fun to see, you know, Janeway and Sulu share the screen together, but it's more of a novelty. It's not really an episode that like lives long in our hearts. Yeah. Um, there are a couple moments that I genuinely liked, you know, um, when Spock delivers the news to uh, pike about uh kind of the the need for ortegas to stay behind on the enterprise and uh you know uh, finally ortegas says to him like learn to leave people alone spock and he says sorry i'm working on that like that was a great <laughs> moment um yeah i was disappointed that after uh that after pike pulled out that pirate's spyglass he didn't do his pirate voice that we saw last season in serene squall um <laughs> you know that that could have been pretty awesome yeah uh one of my favorite things in that episode uh the serene squall is to go back and watch the moment where he does that and watch um rebecca romaine break that is just like so much like so much fun to watch what did this episode reveal about uh, number one to her core as her memories dissipate Oh, absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah, nothing at all. Um, I was going to say one of my frustrations was the Zack character, um, which is that, like, this is something they did in TOS a couple times where you had Starfleet members basically interfere with society and assume a role of higher power, and they were not great episodes. I think of Patterns of Force, which is, like, to those that don't know the names, the Nazi uh, planet episode, and then you also had the Omega Glory, which is like one of the worst episodes of the entire series, which is the one with like the Yangs and the comms, I think, and the uh, Declaration of Independence. This is like a trope that I think is rife to do right. 
And I was actually really excited. I kind of like sat forward in my seat with this whole idea of contamination and this crew member that had been left and had taken this this role of power on this planet. I was like, well, this is genius. I can't wait to see this explored. And I was so frustrated that they did so absolutely little with it. Um, well, you know, Cam, the good news is maybe you'll forget about this episode uh, within a week's time. <laughs> Um, you know, they, they should, do you know, they should have called this episode, um, 50 first dates. That would have been like a much better <laughs> premise as well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This one's fine. Like, um, it did make me think of, uh, because it's been so much in kind of the ether lately, but, uh, people keep on, on the podcasts I listen to, uh, like the, uh, film podcasts, I keep bringing up, uh, you know, regarding Henry, the Harrison Ford film because of all the <laughs> yeah. indie stuff. Um, this one kind of made me feel like uh, a little bit like indie and in that like um, I, I thought the dial of Desti destiny uh, was fine. But the one thing that somebody pointed out on a podcast that, that I was listening to maybe Monday or Tuesday is that um, they've been thinking about this one. Like it kind of like a lot of the moments kind of sticking in their heads and, and uh, a dial of destiny that is um, and, and not necessarily like kind of the action set pieces so much as kind of the emotional beats. And I, I was thinking about that. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Because like right before uh, Dial of Destiny came out, I rewatched the entire uh, indie quadrilogy, including uh, right. uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I think that one is still a little unfairly uh, maligned, and I still think Temple of Doom is unfairly uh, uh, praised, at least in some circles. But um, uh, what I realized, having watched all of those in such quick succession, I really wasn't thinking that much about uh, Crystal Skull as the days wore on. I was thinking much, much more about uh, Dial of Destiny. But uh, I don't know. Th th those are... See how my memory fades away? I didn't realize this is a Star <laughs> Trek podcast, you know? At my core, I'm an Indiana Jones fan. And I also want to give you major props as well for watching every single episode of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles in preparation as well. <laughs> It, uh, it it was a bit of a test, but, um, you know, I got around it. Uh, the only episode I really remember um, vividly was when he went to China. And this, as a kid, I, I remember how this is how I was taught, or when I first learned that the Chinese language, it's, uh, you can say the same word, but if you're doing it in a different tone, then it means a different thing. Like ma would be like horse mm. versus mother, I think. Right. And um, so Indiana Jones, uh, the young Indiana Jones Chronicles, they, they taught me that at least. Okay. I just remember the episode where it actually featured Harrison Ford, and I believe it was about jazz. Did I didn't realize Harrison Ford is actually in one of those episodes. He's in one episode. He has a beard. Uh, in, I, in, I wonder if it was like, I'm trying to think of what movie that would have coincided with, whether it was maybe like The Fugitive when he'd started shooting that or something like that. But um. It ends, to the best of my memory, with him blowing a saxophone and snow falling on bad guys. <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a Will Riker move right there. It really is, yeah. yeah. Um, and I see they've put that show on Disney+. Plus. It's one of those things where I've been like, should I watch a couple of these just to see if it holds up? And then I'm like, nope, nope, don't do it. It's probably not worth it. <laughs> okay. Um, what are your overall thoughts on Dial of Destiny? Uh, Spoiler-free, of course. I am, uh, I would say, mixed somewhat negative on Dial of Destiny. Like, I think when they let Harrison Ford and Phoebe Waller-Bridge just play off of each other, the movie kind of comes to life. And I think this one is much better paced than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which worked in, like, lurches. Like, you can have, like, the campus chase, which really, I think, clicks in uh, Crystal Skull. 
but then it's like kind of like lurching from scene to scene. Whereas I felt like this one kept its fast pace going from pretty much beginning to end, which is saying something for a two and a half hour movie. But to me, it's just like, I, I really do come down on the fact that this is a, you know, two and a half hour action adventure film with not a really single notable action sequence that's particularly interesting and a lot of Marvel level CG. Yeah. And I kind of go like, at a certain point, you're kind of breaking the spirit and awe of what Indiana Jones is and to what end, like, what is your primary goal? Uh, I hope it wasn't profit because that has not really resulted in being the case. I guess it was a little bit of like, we want to end on a high for the character coming off of the kind of negative reception to Crystal Skull. But I don't even know that it really achieved that. In some ways, it was like a more depressing ending than season or than uh, the Crystal Skull. I, I, I would say that after watching these two back to back in quick succession, uh, I would say that a Crystal Skull is better paced than Dial. Uh, mm. Dial is also like 30 minutes longer and yeah. I just you know Spielberg is a pro like uh, not everything is a you know ballpark out of the ballpark hit but I, I, I did think Crystal Skull was better paced than this I will say that I, I was much more satisfied with uh, Indy's conclusion than uh, you were like ultimately I um, you know w w watching him uh, <laughs> Crystal Skull is 15 years old so spoiler alert but watching him get married to Marianne and um and then uh, Mutt grabbing the, the fedora for a split second there. That wasn't necessarily like the, the greatest ending to that character that I could have imagined. Um, the way that they concluded his character here, I, I was much more satisfied. It, 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 uh, I've been thinking about it much more than I have like some of the other conclusions. Even, even how did The Last Crusade end? It, like them like riding off into the sunsets, you know, and that's kind of a... Um, yeah like uh, a very uh, cinematic way to do it, but what was the emotional beat? And, and I think the the emotional beat was when Connery, uh, you know, Dr. Uh, Jones, the senior, you know, was asked, you know, well, what did you come here for? And he finally realizes illumination. That was kind of the mm -hmm. emotional beat within like the last five minutes of the movie. Whereas I think Indiana Jones himself had a much deeper emotional beat that we leave off with in this film. So I, I was satisfied. You know, um, somebody mentioned on another podcast, um, this is, uh, originally started as a trilogy that has now had three separate endings, uh, for this character, <laughs> yeah. like three separate movies to close off this, uh, franchise. But, um, overall, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm more satisfied with Dial of Destiny than I was when you and I walked out of theater, uh, about a week ago. Sure. I, I think for me, like why the last crusade ending worked so well was the whole thing is this search for, um, immortality. And when you have Indy right off into the sunset it makes him immortal. Like that is the indie that is always going to exist is that indie of that time period. He will be immortal. And then <laughs> except when he's playing jazz in the snow camp. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes. And then just, uh, you know, you cut to these new movies and it's like, Oh, okay. Like life does kind of suck. <laughs> That's not yeah. really what I look for in my uh, escapist uh, <laughs> adventure films. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, did life, yeah. I don't think life sucked for him uh, in the crystal skull era though. Like, uh, no, it, it seemed just, okay. Yeah, it seemed okay. You know, look, they were doing something different here. I, I, I'm not like you and I talked about, it, I think though, it, like it wasn't as if that they were trying to continue to hit the same beats, same member berries mm -hmm. in this one as they did with a lot of the previous ones. You know, it always seemed as if, um, Indiana Jones was doing callback after callback after callback to Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
And here, it just kind of seemed even story-wise that they were doing something a little bit different, even though there were some, like, hey, look, there's Nazis. But you know what? In this case, we've got American Nazis, too. You know, it's like, um, <laughs> you know, there, there's kind of, like, uh, different flavors here that I didn't think we quite got with um, Crystal Skull. And I think, you know, I, I think it's a fair criticism that maybe um, Last Crusade hit too many familiar beats that we saw in Raiders because people's opinions on uh, Temple of Doom, which is quite different from, from Raiders, um, not always held that, that movie hasn't been held in the highest esteem uh, moving forward over the last like 40 years or so. Yeah. Well, that's actually a very good point in that like after Temple, they kind of retreated back to the, uh, to the Raiders formula for last crusade and then stuck with it as well for kingdom of the crystal skull. And I think that is one thing that Dial of Destiny does deserve some recognition for, which is like, in terms of creating a recognizable indie adventure, they managed to push the constraints a little bit of what the formula was, so it didn't feel like they were just remaking Raiders again. And it, they managed to do it in a way that I think didn't feel maybe as jarring as Temple of Doom did for many. Okay. So, um... Listeners, uh, you can uh, dial in next week, and we'll, uh, we won't have any summer blockbuster uh, talk uh, to share. But I guess uh, yeah, you and I will talk a little bit about Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part Mission colon Impossible M dash Dead Reckoning Part One um, the week after. And um, I'm assuming you will be talking more in depth on uh, the Spy Hards podcast uh, when that uh, goes out. Uh, is that correct? Is uh, correct assumption on my part? That is correct. Yes, yes. We will have a uh, review episode of that coming out okay. in the very near future. I'm pumped for uh, Dead Reckoning myself. Me too. Very much so. And I believe the episode of Strange New Worlds we'll be tackling next, I think it's called Charades. Uh, a nice simple now, do title. do you say charades or do you say charades? I say charades. Is that the... Uh, that's the accepted version, right? <laughs> do you say sabotage or sabotage? Uh, sabotage. There you go. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. No, haven't you heard anyone ever say uh, a charade? I have, yeah. But don't they do that more in, like, joking? I don't know. I think you can say charade, and that's okay. Cam, I'm not defending charade. I say charade. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I also, I, I, only, I only ever hear charades. I never hear charades, but I do hmm. hear charade. Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Tune in next week for more of that delightful commentary on how words are pronounced. And hopefully we have a line that's as memorable next week as, I'll come find you when I get our memories back. Shakespeare, man. That's terrible. That is one of the worst lines I've heard in modern Star Trek. <laughs> okay, and of course you can leave reviews for us wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also find us on the Twitter. I met Cam. B is in vicious Kalar Warriors. Smith. You can find me at Reportin. That's R E P O R T O, as in Ortegas. I usually fly the ship, which is cool. N. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. I fly the ship. I fly the ship. <laughs>